Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of And Finally with me, Salem Vader. I'd like to start off by apologising for the lack of episode last week and the fact that this is in fact a day late. Uh, I've been back at work uh, starting sometime last week, I can't remember the exact day. They've all blended into one rather nicely um, and because of that being back off furlough, being back actually in work, obviously I've been a lot busier, working a lot more hours. Uh, so I didn't have enough time to sit down and script last week. And this week, with work, I got some scripts together and I tried some stuff out, kept making changes, and it, it, it didn't come together in a cohesive way and I didn't like how it turned out. So I've, I've pushed it back to a release today and hopefully this recording, I don't know how many I've tried now over the last few days, will be the definitive that makes up the episode. But as always, I would like to obviously mention that we here at Sigil Arts do stand with the Black Lives Matter campaign and all things similar, if we're completely honest. And we are working on some things and maybe showing our support in a more cohesive and public way. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything or go into too much detail yet because details haven't been finalised. No, we do stand with it and we are still working to raise awareness and, and help anyone out there who is suffering due to any reasons, colour of skin, beliefs, race, you know, we, we stand with them and we hope that one day, one day things will be better. But for now, let's go to days when, a long time ago, shall we say, because this week we are actually going to be discussing the history of the Tower of London, uh, a very major monument and probably my favourite place to visit in London, I'd say the Tower of London is. It's just fascinating, it's a lovely place. Um, if you ever get a chance to watch the changing of the key ceremony, which is a thing they do where they they lock the tower at night and they do a big ceremony, even like these days, like they don't have lanterns anymore. Obviously, there are street lights and everything, but they still do it old fashioned as if like who goes there and there's a script they have to follow, like to do it precisely and special phrases they have to say to make sure they're the right person. It's all legit. It's a fascinating thing to watch. And honestly, if you get a chance uh, to sign up for that list, do it. It's brilliant. It's well worth it. Um, but yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the, the broad history of the Tower of London. And to actually start, we need to go back before London was even properly, I suppose, called London and, and a very long time ago now to 43 AD, uh, which is where the Romans built a fort in a walled city. They, at that point, called Londinium which is obviously the site of present-day London. And uh, where they built the uh, fort is where, in present day, is the north bank of the River Thames, which is obviously where we now know uh, the current Tower of London to be standing. Um, so that was in 43 AD. Then nothing really happened with that until 530 AD. A Celtic legend tells King Branhen of Breineck. Uh, he was killed and requested that his head was buried as a talisman against invasion on the White Mount Gw Gwynfern, it means the White Mount, where the Tower of London now stands. Bran is the Celtic word for raven, apparently, uh, which is the origin of the Tower of London's Ravens legend, which I found that very fascinating. Um, so, just to recap, because I might have not said that cohesively enough, there was this Celtic, uh, there was this king in Celtic legend who was killed in battle and requested that his head basically be buried where where the uh, as as a sort of symbol against invasion so it was meant to be like a, a magic thing to warn off invasion which is obviously what the tower of london technically still represents today it's a symbol against invasion and is like the ultimate it's the fortress of london essentially uh, and it still stands it's probably not the most defensible these days but it was back then and it obviously the tower itself does stand as a symbol of you can't get us like it, it's a big massive talisman but his head was apparently placed there as a talisman um to warn off the invaders and uh yeah bran apparently is a word for raven and that's fascinating because right i don't know about you i'm four minutes in five minutes into this episode now and i'm already going to share my very dark secret about this i really want to steal the ravens from what for one day because obviously the legend goes that if you remove the legends from the tower, the white tower, the, the white tower will fall. The, that's the central tower of the Tower of London, and the British Empire will be no more. The whole uh, like democracy and sort of uh, the royals and everything will just crumble. And I just, 
I really want to tempt fate and see what happens if you steal the ravens. Because obviously they're that paranoid that they clip the ravens' wings. They're all pets, and they clip so they can't actually properly. They can fly, but not fly away. So I'm, I'm really curious. I want to see what happens. I didn't, but I didn't realise until doing the research for this that the ravens come from a supposed king whose head was put there as a talisman to warn off invaders on the White Mount, sort of like the White Tower, before the White Tower was ever built, obviously. Um, and yeah, now now ravens can't leave, or as the empire and everything will fall because we might be invaded. That's that's quite cool. Anyway, so that's 530 AD. That's my little ramble for the day. Um, but then by 885 AD, King Alfred the Great, who uh, comes from Winchester, by the way. He originally ruled from Winchester because the original capital of the UK was Winchester. That's a fun fact for you. And I'm excited about this because that is where I... Uh, Myself, King's Eyes and Glitter all go to university. So yeah, Winchester was the original capital of the country and King Alfred the Great, sort of the first English king as he's known, um, was, yeah, he, he was from Winchester. So, but by 885 AD, King Alfred the Great rebuilds part of the Londinium Roman Wall. So this is probably the start of the move from Winchester to London as the main capital. But uh now we've got to skip ahead a bit to the year 1066, a year that I'm sure most of you will know and recognise because that is the year that William the Conqueror won the Battle of Hastings and became the new King of England. Uh, yeah, and they brought with them the, the, the Normans, I'm not calling them the French, they're not the French. The French could never invade us, the Normans could. The Normans brought over, they liked to build castles. They, they, it was the Mont Bailey castle was their big thing, wasn't it? Um, so they brought them over. So by actually sort of between 1066 and 1067, the Normans actually start to build one of their timber Mont Bailey castles within the old Roman walls um, on the east and the south and put ditches to the west and north as protection and a palisade was built along the north and west sides of the tower so they sort of just this was the main origin of the tower as we know it today they built a timber tower Motton bailey castle sort of above where the romans had placed theirs and sort of based around the walls that the romans have left after all this time uh, and in the january of 1067 william the conqueror is then obviously officially crowned the king of england in westminster abbey in london and solidifies himself as a yeah as king so by 1078 a stone-built fortified tower was commissioned by william replacing the timber so basically he realizing that obviously a mountain bailey wasn't as defensible this was now his capital this is what he needed to defend this is the Tower of London is in a very defensible place on the Thames as well. It, it's easy to ward off invasion from where the tower is placed and defend it. And basically, it's it's in a, it's at a place in London where I think it's near enough central to London. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it is basically central Londonish. Uh, the Tower of London. I should know that I've visited it enough, but I never really look on the map. So it's, it's very defensible at the heart of London. So he realised we can't deal with this wooden one. So he commissioned a, a stone one uh, that replaced the timber one. And it was called the Great Tower at the time. But these days it is known as the White Tower. Um, but then we skip forward to 1086. And the Doomsday Book is completed in England. Which is a uh, very historical book telling stories of the past and stuff. If you want to read it, you can. It's not the most interesting read. If you want to learn about the histories, you know, the stories of the past, come to this podcast instead. It's much better than reading the Doomsday Book. It's a bit long. Um, but on the 9th of September, 1086, William the Conqueror dies um, in France. And, uh, yeah, that's that. Woo! Um, and the White Tower itself, actually because, sorry, these notes are a bit out of order because the White Tower construction went on for a few years, was actually built by Roman masons, but obviously the uh, the labourers were Anglo-Saxon English. Um, so it, it was built by us, but the, uh, the posh parts were done by the Normans. We don't care about the posh parts. It's there for defence, not prettiness. Uh, but then by 1087, so that's obviously uh, when good old William died, his son, William Rufus, uh, sort of takes charge 
for the next 13 years. So by 1091, a great storm actually damaged the timber outer works uh, and the minor fortifications of the defensive position were, were uh, quite severely destroyed by a storm. Uh, so more repairs were needed because obviously the construction wasn't yet finished and it set it back a bit with a big storm destroying what was, what was left. Um, but by 1097, as I said before, the uh, White Tower was officially completed and the inner ward of the tower was enclosed with a wall. Because if you actually look at the Tower of London, it's got is it three or four sets of walls. Uh, obviously not all of them particularly standing anymore, but there's a set of them that go around for a while. I can't remember exactly how many off the top of my head. Trying to picture it now, but it, it you can see if you were to look at the Tower of London, you can see the phases as it builds outwards, which is quite cool. It, it's sort of standing archaeology, and that's that's brilliant. Um, then we get to the 1100s, and uh, by 1100 itself, you actually have the first recorded state prisoner, which was Ranulf Flambard, Bishop of Durham. Um, congrats mate, you're the first guy to stay in one of the most horrifying prisons ever conceived. Good on you. Um, and by 1101, he was also, <laughs> he was also the first person to escape the Tower of London, which, um, yay. What a legend. I mean, it's... It's not very promising, isn't it? Your first prisoner at the tower, and he's the first guy to escape as well. I mean, come on, guys. Uh, but by 1190, uh, that's how long it's basically gone without anything really going on in the tower. No work or anything. Uh, well, no recorded work that we know of. Um, obviously, stuff might have happened that isn't in the historical record or archaeological record, but for all we know, that, that's all that happened. But by 1190, work started to surround the White Tower with two towered curtain walls and a great ditch as additional defences. So by this point, they're realising this, this is something that we need to defend at all costs. So they, they start pushing out with more walls and more ditches to uh, stop what was going uh anyone coming in so richard the lionheart who was obviously king at this time had embarked upon the crusades around this time and william longchamp the bishop of ely ely place by the way it's a lovely uh church cathedral i think it's a church saint cathedral's elthedra's church it's a lovely church um go and visit it they've got a lovely crypt at the bottom but yeah he was appointed his regent Judicator of England and Consul of the Tower, Constable, sorry, of the Tower of London. So he then, therefore, uh, resided in the fortress and seized land from the city of St. Catherine's Hospital and expanded the tower as follows. So he then made sure the Roman wall was extended as a Roman wall, uh, sorry, curtain wall westwards along the waterfront. The wardrobe tower was built where the monarch's clothing, armour and equipment were stored, stored, I mean, you know, you've got a wardrobe tower, right? I've got a tiny wardrobe sitting in the corner of my room and he had a whole tower for it, but whatever. Uh, they started work on the construction of the bell tower. The northern wall was created and the outer ward and the second curtain wall, they dug another ditch outside of the walls and efforts to flood the ditch from the River Thames failed because uh, obviously they were trying to build a moat, which is no longer there, but you can see the remnants of it. It's the big bit around the outside where they placed the poppies a few years ago uh, for the 100th anniversary of World War One. Uh, but by 1191, so this has only been one year at this point, we had the first, first siege at the Tower of London, uh, where Prince John, uh, who you probably know from the stories of Robin Hood, most famously, he was obviously the younger brother of Richard the Lionheart, uh, posed the powerful Bishop Longchamp and lay siege to the Tower of London. Um, after only three days, lack of provisions forced Bishop Longchamp to surrender. So uh, basically, Richard Lionheart's brother attacked the tower, um, who obviously was being looked after by Longchamp, and Longchamp had to surrender after a few days, which, a bit peak, in it? Sucks to be him. But you get to then 
1204 where the Church of St. Peter was completed. 1210 the bell tower was completed during the reign of King John. Uh, 1210 or so King John took up residence in the tower and a moat was dug outside the city of London Wall. The city ditch was drained into the tower moat causing a foul smell in the tower and causing friction between John and Londoners. Um, you know, he wasn't a very well-liked person anyways, I'm sure you know from the Robin Hood stories, that just didn't help. Um, but between 1211 and 1213, the signing of the Magna Carta, obviously between John and the Barons, took place, and the whole tower was held in pledge for the completion of the Magna Carta um, itself. And around 1215, legend had it that King John lost the crown jewels, which were kept in Westminster Abbey in Quicksand. And uh, yeah, that's one idiot. Obviously, that's relevant because later on the crown jewels get stored, stored at the tower themselves, and they're still there today. Um, and by 1216, work continued on the additional Tower of London defences. So by 1216, Henry III becomes king, and he was only 10 years old when he was crowned, but he immediately started on a strategy to reinforce all of the royal castles, including the Tower of London. At first, the fortifications were strengthened and a new wall was built, enclosing the west side of the inmost ward. And the royal accommodation was extended in the White Tower, which was substantially rebuilt with a new great hall and kitchens. Obviously, the White Tower does still stand today. It's now used as more of a museum. Isn't it? I mean, the whole place is a museum these days, really, but it's got lovely pieces of armour and stuff and evidence from the past. Um, but by 1236, there was opposition to the, this rule, and Henry took refuge in the tower from the barons. Honestly, English history is all people stabbing each other in the back, isn't it? Um... But by 1238, Henry, appreciating the strength of the tower, initiated further building plans with his chief architect, Henry de Rains, together with John of Gloucestershire, Gloucester, and Robert Beverley. The Wakefield Tower was added as the king's lodgings, uh, the, which is currently the second largest tower. The Langthorne Tower was added as the queen's lodgings, because, you know, why would you want to sleep together, guys? No, it's true. A new entrance to the Tower of London with a drawbridge was added called the Baywood Tower. The Baywood Tower was the great gatehouse of the Outer Ward and is in part the work of Henry III and in part of Richard II. Uh, the great new curtain walls, that's another one, was constructed around the north and east and west of sides of the castle and the new curtain wall doubled the area covered by the tower complex. So it's getting very big now as the, each king is realising more and more so how defensible and how important this tower is and has become. Uh, the king paid for the new land which obviously the owners had been forced to sell because that is still a thing actually the royal family can do today. They can just force someone to sell their land, they don't have a choice about it. And the moat was extended and successfully flooded with water from the River Thames by a Flemish engineer called John Le Fosse. Uh, they actually kept the moat for a very long time and had a polar bear that used to go fishing in it. Um, that, you know, that because at one point the uh, tower was a zoo. Which actually, uh, obviously I'll get to that a bit later in it, on anyway, probably. But um, yeah, the tower was the origin of London Zoo, actually. Uh, and we'll probably, yeah, mention more on that later. Because I'm, what, 20 minutes in and I'm only at 12.41. By 12.41, the Welsh Prince Gurfriud was imprisoned and fell to his death in a bid to escape. So uh, not everyone who tries to escape gets along very well but between 1263 and 1267 the barons war took place the barons led by S simon de montfort forced the king to submit to government by council leading to the formation of the english parliament so uh yeah this is a uh, oh this is where britain went downhill we got parliament then but anyway six 1264, the Royal Menagerie was moved to the Bulwark Outer Defence, which was duly renamed the Lion Tower. So yes, once again, this is obviously the start of what would one day become the, uh, the London Zoo, after a few mishaps went on down the line. Uh, but by 1255, King Louis of France gave Henry III the first elephant seen in England. So that is why we have a lot of these 
animals in the country. Uh, we royal dignitaries and other royal people from across the world would give our royal family gifts as signs of sort of partnership and well-being. And the reason actually the lion is the symbol of our country, despite one being nowhere near here, like naturally, is that lions were the big thing given to the king of our country. Like it was always a big important thing when they were given a lion. Hence, obviously, we now have lions as the symbol of our country because uh, they were a gift given to a king. Um, but between 1238 and 1272, 10 additional towers were, uh, were built, including the middle tower, which is now the main entrance, the salt tower, the martin tower, the Devereux tower, the flint tower, the brick tower, the constable tower, the broad arrow tower, the bower tower, and the garden tower, which was uh, renamed bloody tower, which housed noble prisoners later on and this cost a massive 21,000 these improvements which obviously sounds like a lot today so bear in mind how much that would have been back then is insane so in 1272 you had M Edward I uh, come to power and he continued the castle building initiated by his father Henry III uh, with his chief architect and builder master James of St George they built a massive concentric castles in England, Scotland and Wales and the White Tower was strengthened with two towered curtain walls and great ditch defences. So once again another king who realises the importance of uh, strengthening this very important monument. Uh, St Thomas's Tower was built named after Thomas a Becket with new royal lodgings and the River Thames entrance known as Traitor's Gate. The gate famous that Anne Boleyn entered through twice, once to get married and another time as a prisoner soon to have her head chopped off. Um, but by 1275, sorry, the Well Tower was built, then the Beauchamp Tower was started and was completed along with the moat, uh, and by 1282 a new small entrance to the Tower of London was added called the Devlin Tower. You know, all of this stuff, it, it's insane. If you've never been there, please do go there. You can see all of these things still standing. There's interactive exhibits, you can get the tours from the Beefeaters. Honestly, I implore you, you will love the Tower of London. It's fantastic. If you like history and you're interested in all of this and you want to see where prisoners were kept and tortured. Okay, it gets a bit dark at times, but it's all history. 1303, the crown jewels were actually moved from Westminster Abbey to the Tower of London, which served as a treasury, and they still remain there to this day, in fact, and I have not gone to see them because I have no interest in that. Um, I don't know if you can tell, I'm not much of a royalist. Uh, I like my history, but I'm, I'm not, you know, Republican. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but I wouldn't trust our government either. Anyway, 1307, Edward II comes to power. And the Tower of London played a crucial role during the dangerous reign of King Edward, at least Henry, and was used as royal refuge and to maintain royal authority. Improvements were made to the Tower of London defences, including the curtain walls during this period, and the tower was used for storage of official papers by the King's wardrobe. Uh, Roger Mortimer, in 1324, the first Earl of March, leads the barons in a rebellion against King Edward II. He was incarcerated in the tower but managed to escape to France, followed by his lover Isabella of France, convenient, wife of Edward II and Queen of England. So the barons really have a thing against the royal family. Maybe I should become a baron. Hmm. By 1327, the king was forced to abdicate in favour of his young son, Edward III, England was ruled by Mortimer and Isabella, who are believed to have arranged the marriage of Edward II at Beckerley Castle. But then we have Edward III. When he was the young king came to age, he uh, incarcerated Roger Mortimer in the tower, and uh, Roger was condemned without trial and hanged on the 29th of November, 1330. God, don't you just love British history? Um... And yeah, he uh, pawned the crown jewels in order to pay his troops at the start of the Hundred Years' War, and the practice was forbidden after his reign. So basically, yeah, he just sold off the crown jewels, as you do. Um, but then you get to 1348-49, to where the Black Death actually made its way through England, killing nearly one-third of the population. Uh, in London, it was much worse, because it was a highly populated, dense area. Very relevant to what is going on today. People stay inside and wear masks, please, for crying out loud. Just... Just do it. 
let's try and save people. We do not want another Black Death. I mean, this is already going to be remembered like that, but let's come on. Anyway, um, but then Princess Joan, one of the king's daughters, was killed by the Black Death, and the moat was drained as it was feared an additional health hazard, um, which made sense because the Thames isn't clean now. It was probably clean. Well, I don't know if it was cleaner back then. The Thames isn't clean. Let's just be real about it. Uh, and modern excavations have revealed that plague pits just outside the Tower of London. So when they had all that space left, they clearly just used some of it as plague pits. Now the moat was temporarily uh, drained. Um, 1360 to 1377, Henry, Henry Yeverly uh, was a master mason who was employed by the king and his chief architect. More fortifications and a new gatehouse between the Lanthorn Tower and the Salt Tower were added together with smaller entrances behind the Baywood and Devlin Tower and the upper parts of the Bloody Tower were also rebuilt and also in this time the Cradle Tower was added, the Tower Wolf was extended eastwards as far as St Thomas's Tower and the Great Tower, the White Tower, began to assume its modern tame, La Blanche Tour, the White Tower after yet another coating of whitewash. So basically it gained its name after being whitewashed so many times. A bit like the White House in America right now. It was never originally called that. Um, it's just for a series of whitewashing. Um, then you get to 1377 where Richard II, grandson of Edward III, comes to power. 1378. The extensions of the Tower Wolf and Bayward Tower improvements were finally finally completed and by 1381 uh, the tower was under siege due to the peasants revolt because uh, the English peasants were angry at the royal family by a new poll tax and the peasants marched on London led by Watt Tyler and John Ball sorry I paused things I forgot Watt Tyler's a park near me and many of his family and household were forced to shelter in the tower this is Richard II now uh, while over 10,000 rebels plundered and burned London for two days. God, and they think we riot bad today. That's mental. But by June the 14th, 1381, part of the tower was occupied and the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Treasurer were captured and brutally bareheaded. The 14-year-old King Richard pacified the peasants in Blackheath. What Tyler was later killed by Mayor Woolworth and his men, and John Ball met an even more horrific fate and was hung, drawn, and quartered. Uh, this was also this was on June fifteenth, thirteen eighty-one. By the thirteen eighty-seven, the king and his queen took refuge in the tower again when the barons clashed with Robert de Vere, the Earl of Oxford. So, barons and peasants, biggest kryptonite to the royal family, apparently. Uh, thirteen ninety-nine, you have John of Gaunt, who died, and King Richard seized his lands. Gaunt's son, Henry Boilingbroke, invaded England, whilst Richard was on a campaign in Ireland, usurping the throne from the king. And on the 1st of October 1399, King Richard II was condemned as a tyrant and renounced the crown in his chamber in the White Tower, and Henry IV was proclaimed king the next day. So, 1399, Henry invaded England, obviously, and became king. And the leader of the Lords, St. John Oldcastle, arrested the friend of the king. No. Yeah, arrested the friend of the king and was sent to the Tower of London. Sorry. Struggling to read my own handwriting. This is getting to be a problem. <laughs> then, by 1413, Henry IV died suffering from leprosy. And epilepsy, that does not sound like a nice way to go. But then we get to Henry V and uh, the notorious Dwaga Queen of England, Joan of Nerve, love her, I'd never know how to say these things, was accused by her stepson Henry V of witchcraft and necromancy, but she was acquitted. And uh, yeah, there was then a war that raged across England that's pretty much it and the tower was used somewhat defensively this is quite a quiet uh, 11 years for what was going on uh, but by 1422 we get Henry VI getting very close to my least favorite Henry now um, so in 1465 the mentally unstable and pious Lancastrian King Henry VI 
and his headstrong and ambitious wife Margaret of Anjou were imprisoned in the Tower of London from 1465 to 1470 and Henry was briefly restored to power in 1470. Uh, but by 1471 the last Lancastrian king was murdered in the Wakefield Tower whilst he was at prayer the following day and he was probably murdered on the orders of Edward IV. England then entered a period of civil disorder and political instability known as the War of the Roses between the Lancastrians and the Yorks because, you know, murder's not good. Uh, but then, by 1461, Edward IV had come to power and maintained and improved the tower defences. By 1478, George, Duke of Clarence, the brother of Edward IV, was executed for treason in the Tower of London. And by 1480, a new brick bullock, an outer defence, was built beyond the western entrance. Edward IV was a notorious womaniser and his affair led to claims of illegitimacy and ultimately led to the murder of his sons in 14, between 1461 and 1483. I'd once again like to apologise for mispronouncing so many words. Um, I'm just, I'm bad sometimes. It, it's a problem and it doesn't help with my own handwriting. And some of these old fashioned names, I never know how to say them. Anyway, 1483, the Edward V, the boy king, was on his way to his coronation in London, was intercepted by his uncle. Wonder who that is. And the prosecutor who would become Richard III. Edward was escorted into the, to London and then the tower he was joined by his brother Prince Richard and the coronation was cancelled. As we know from looking at the likes of Shakespeare's plays and other stories told, Richard obviously wanted the power from his brother for himself, so did not want his nephews to become, to become king, so he put them in the tower for their protection, but they mysteriously died overnight. Uh, so yes, they disappeared in the tower after being declared illegitimate by Richard, and they were believed to have been murdered and... Uh, by him and are now referred to as the princes in the tower that is probably how you most likely remember them but then june 15 1483 obviously the children were declared illegitimate and the next in line to the throne was their uncle and protector richard duke of gloucester who was declared the true king richard iii um and the lancastrian but by 1485 the lancastrian rebellion rose against the yorkist richard and in the Battle of Bosworth, he fell to Henry Tudor, also known as Henry VIII. And uh, he cemented his succession and settled the friction between the Yorkists and Lancastrians by marrying the heir to the Yorkist throne, Elizabeth of York. Um, obviously, this was a big war going on because the Lancastrians should have been in power. The Yorks murdered them. The Yorks got to power. And then in a war, the Lancastrians came out on top. And Henry VII built the last permanent royal residential buildings in the Tower of London. He extended the royal lodgings around the Lanthorn Tower. He added a new private chamber, built a library and added a long gallery. By 1487, Lambert Simmel, an imposter and pretender to the English throne, was defeated at the Battle of Stoke, taken prisoner and pardoned and supposedly was employed uh, in the royal kitchen from this point but he was imprisoned in the tower of london perkin warbeck was also claimed to be one of the princes in the tower uh killers was interrogated and executed at the tower of london edmund de la pole earl of suffolk had a strong yorkist claim to the throne as a descendant of edward iii and was imprisoned for years and finally executed like good old Henry VIII uh, without trial in 1513, jumping ahead a bit. But in 1502, a papal dispensation, dispensation was obtained to enable his second son, Henry, to marry the wife, uh, to marry Catherine of Aragon. Um, sorry, I couldn't read that for a minute. How can I not read that name? Of his first son, Arthur, who had died, which is a bit weird. Um, but we know Henry and his treatment of women. And we're here, 1509, Henry VIII, become second son of Henry VII, marries his older brother's wife, um, and uh, yeah, becomes king. And the original chapel of St. Peter, Advenicula, was burned down, and the chapel of St. Peter, Advenicula, was rebuilt. 
gun emplacements were improvised during the reign of Henry VIII, and the roof of the White Tower needed to be strengthened to take the weight of cannons. So Henry VIII was taking this shit seriously. Um, but then by 1513, Edmund de Pol, a threat to the Tudor throne, was executed without trial. Henry, as we know, had a thing for executions. By 1530, extensive building and repair work on the royal lodgings was conducted under the orders of Henry VIII in preparation of the coronation of Anne Boleyn. If you want to know more about her, check out the first episode of Anne Finally. It's still one of my favourites and she is still my favourite person in all of history. Um, I did a lot of research on her to get a very good episode for you, so go check that out there. The work was supervised by Thomas Cromwell and this included the repair and decoration of the magnificent Great Hall and a new chamber for the Queen. Also in 1530, the White Tower's most famous features, the onion-shaped domes on the turrets, were completed with weather vanes. And uh, by 1533, Henry had, of course, divorced his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, and by 1534, had broke with the church completely with his act of supremacy, which made him the king head of the Church of England and the tower expands the role of the prison for a large number of religious and political prisoners and its bloody history. So it was around this point that a lot more people started becoming prisoners of the tower because Henry didn't like their beliefs because uh, he's an asshole. Um, and obviously by this point he's obviously married to Anne Boleyn as well. That was also 1533, I believe. Yeah, 1533. Uh, but by 1535, St Thomas More and Bishop Fisher of Rochester were executed for refusing to acknowledge Henry VIII as head of the English Church. Um, and as we know, Anne led a procession from the Tower of London to Westminster Abbey for her coronation. As I said, she is one of the only people to have entered through Traitor's Gate twice, once on her way to becoming Queen. And... Uh, the second time on May 2nd, 1536, when she entered Traitor's Gate for the second time, this time as an actual traitor, um, which is quite depressing. And then on in the May of 1536, uh, she was tried for treason, adultery and incest in the Great Hall of the Tower of London. And then May 19th, 1536, she was executed uh, at the Tower and her body and head were buried in an unmarked grave in the chapel of St. Peter de Vinicula. Within 24 hours of her execution, Jane Seymour and Henry VIII were formally betrothed. And, uh, yeah, that's... I know this isn't my Anne Boleyn episode anymore, but that's a dick move, Henry. Not exactly impressed. Um, but by 1540, Henry marries Anne of Cleves, because obviously Jane Seymour tragically died of nothing and yeah he married Anne of Cleves uh, but the marriage was obviously annulled and Thomas Cromwell is blamed for all of this and is imprisoned and executed in Tower Hill which serves you right uh, for you know blaming Anne Boleyn for everything that was going wrong and getting her executed you snake sorry bias aside July 28, 1540 the 49-year-old Henry married the 19-year-old Catherine Howard um, not don't want to say he's a nonce but he's a little bit of a nonce and 1541 margaret pole the countess of salisbury is also executed at the tower another person who didn't agree with henry um but let me skip ahead a bit to 1542 where the what 20 21 year old catherine howard was executed for adultery and then by the 12th of july 1543 henry marries catherine parr who had a near brush with death and she was linked with heretical religious reformers, including the tragic Anne Askew, who was tortured on the rack in the tower. Um, yeah, Henry wasn't a nice guy, but he made use of the tower at least. Um, and I am realising now, guys, we're at the 39 minute mark. We're going to make this an extended episode. We're going to get through the whole history of the tower. So buckle up, get some popcorn, take a pause now, go get a drink, go do a wee, go have a poo, and then come back and enjoy the rest of the history of the Tower of London. Um, I hope you don't mind an extended one, but it's obviously a very extensive history and there's not much you can skip. So by 1547, Edward V, obviously Henry's son and the son of Jane Seymour, 
was crowned king and Thomas Seymour is imprisoned in the tower then beheaded on Tower Hill. Then by 1552 the young king's protector the Duke of Somerset and his confederates meet their death at the tower. Like father like son I suppose but by 1553 Edward died of tuberculosis and left the throne to the Lady Jane of her heirs male um, which I believe it's just a posh way of saying someone he was meant to marry. I can't really remember. It doesn't matter because she wasn't queen for long. Because uh, she, she was proclaimed King of England on the 10th of July, 1553. And her husband, Guilford Dudley, was taken in the full state from Sion to the Royal Apartments in the Tower of London. Um, but then by 1553, 19th of July, nine days. Nine days. Good job. Yeah, she was killed in the Tower. Um, because Mary, the daughter of Catherine of Aragon and Henry, she deserved the right to be queen. So, the, obviously, she being the eldest daughter of Henry VIII, is referred to as Bloody Mary. For her prosecution of the Protestants and political viral rivals, she made her father look like a nice man. And yet, Lady Jane Grey, they were executed at the Tower. Bloody Mary preferred burning people than chopping their heads off, you know. Whatever. But then... She didn't like her sister much either, Princess Elizabeth, obviously the daughter of Anne Boleyn. She was imprisoned in the Tower of London from eight weeks in 1554 because uh, she didn't like Anne Boleyn, so she didn't like Anne Boleyn's daughter. Uh, she didn't really see her as a sister. And uh, by 1555, the men-at-arms were formally incorporated as yeoman warders. 21 warders were appointed and were joined by 17 skillful gunners. So this is where the beef eaters, the yeoman guards, first came into place in the Tower of London. This was under the rule of uh, Queen Mary. Then you get to 1556. Archbishop Cramer, Bishops Ridley and Latimer, who were condemned to death for heresy, were imprisoned in the Tower before being burned at the stake at Oxford in 1556. But then we jump forward to 1558, where Elizabeth I becomes Queen after the death of her oldest half-sister. And uh, when the Black Death once again broke out in London in 1563, Queen Elizabeth I uh, moved her court to Windsor Castle, where she erected gallows and ordered that anyone coming from London was to be hanged. Um, yeah, it's not just father like son, it's father like any of their kids. That's a bit of a dick move. Um, basically, if you're trying to escape, you, you die. But I suppose it's a way of keeping the contagion in. I guess. Anyway, by 1158, uh, no, yes, no, by 1183, sorry, relatives of William Shakespeare were sent to the Tower. Because they were. I don't, I don't care. Why wasn't Shakespeare sent there? That's the real question. In 1583, Edward Arden, the head of the Catholic Arden family, was executed for his Catholic beliefs and for plotting against the life of the Queen. Edward Arden's son-in-law, John Somerville, was also arrested, tortured on the rack and died in the Tower of London for being supporters of the Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots. This is all politics and it's all Henry's fault. Literally, most of this stuff onwards could have been avoided if it wasn't for him. Anyway, 1585. Henry Percy, 8th Earl of Northumberland, died in mysterious circumstances in the Tower by three bullet holes in the chest. I mean, that's not really mysterious though, is it? Well, I put that down because that's what the... The facts were telling me it was mysterious, but three bullet holes, I can almost guarantee what he died of. It was the bullet holes in his chest. I mean, that's... I don't... I don't... Oh, uh, yeah. 1599, the Jesuit priest John Gerard escapes from the Cradle Tower, and by 1601, Robert Devaru, Earl of Essex, woo, big up Essex, was executed on Tower Green, still big up Essex. And uh, also by uh, the Royal Mint was extended uh, and a new storehouse is more storehouse is not storehouse were built for royal military supplies. <sighs> now we're finally in the 1600s. We're getting there, folks. We're getting there. 1603, James the first of England and James also known as James the sixth of Scotland was crowned King of England. And he, he arrived at the Tower of London on the day of his arrival and stayed there for several nights. Of course he arrived on the day of his arrival, you idiot. And by 1613, Sir Thomas Overbury, poet and courtier, was poisoned in the Tower. 
1618, Sir Walter Raleigh was held at the wardrobe tower and the brick tower before he was beheaded in Old Palace Yard. And the Lieutenant's House was built in the 1540s, is now called the Queen's House, and that was extended and modified in the same year. But 1625, we get Charles I, where in 1629, the King's chief opponent in Parliament was Sir John Eliot, who was imprisoned in the Tower of London until his death in 1632. Now, 1642, another civil war broke out between King and Parliament. And 1643, the Tower was seized from the King by parliamentarians and remained in their hands throughout the Civil War, so that was 1642 to 1649, during which time a permanent garrison was installed, so that made it more of a military force, there was now a proper garrison installed and not just yeoman warders, by 13th of January 1949, so 1649, sorry, Charles was beheaded on a scaffold outside the banqueting house in Whitehall, London. Can you imagine if people in Parliament were able of, you know, causing a riot like that these days. You can imagine Boris Johnson trying to take the Tower of London. To be fair, that's something I'd watch. By 1660, under the rule of Charles II, major improvements to the Tower's defences were made and batteries of guns were set in place along the walls and arsenal was expanded. The garrison was used to quell any disturbances in the City of London. What I find majorly weird about this is thinking that even Henry VIII was placing sort of gun turrets on the Tower of London. That's insane to think that he had guns back then. I know obviously they did and to an extent have gun turrets and cannons and whatnot, but it's weird to think that all this stuff was sort of going on back then. Guns, I feel like, are more modern, but it's weird because they're definitely not. And uh, the stone kitchen and golden chain taverns used by the inhabitants of the casements and other tower employees were believed to have been built at this time. Uh, it was around this time that the function of the tower declined as a state prison and became more of a castle and the Office of Ordnance actually took over responsibility for the castle. And in 1660, the replacement for the lost crown jewels, which were destroyed uh, previously, was made and that cost nearly 13,000, which obviously is once again a lot by today's standards. You can imagine how much that was costing back then. Um, and by 1660, the first sightseers were admitted to the Tower of London which include the viewing of the crown jewels. So it was around this point it became more of a museum and tourist attraction as opposed to a prison and major fortress. I mean, it is still a major fortress, but around this time it became more open to the public. And it was in 1671 that Colonel Thomas Blood and his men tried to steal the crown jewels from the Martin Tower. And uh, the tower narrowly escaped destruction in the Great Fire of London in 1666, actually. It was very close, but it managed to stand. And in 1667, the records show that 9,677 barrels of gunpowder were stored in the White Tower. And this is why it was at great risk from the Great Fire of London. As a massive armoury, it could have just gone up in flames massively. And, uh, but between 1663 and 1664, this is where obviously these armories were of course built by the Board of Ordnance and this is where it did become a major more military operation as opposed to a torture chamber. But then you get to 1685 where James II comes to power and had to crush a rebellion of Protestants who rallied around his nephew James Duke of Mammoth, Monmouth, fucking Mammoth, the son of Charles II and his mistress Lucy Walter. Monmouth was captured and beheaded on Tower Hill. Uh, on 1688, by 1688, hanging Judge Jeffreys sentenced many to death, acted on orders of the king. Yeah, so he's known as hanging Judge Jeffreys because, well, he sent a lot of people to their death. Yeah, English history is weird, guys. But it was by this point point that the building of the grand storehouse began to house arms and army and navy munitions it was really becoming a military powerhouse at this point and more of a barracks and, and military landmark than it ever was a prison and the catholic and the catholic james in the same year 1688 was deposed and replaced by his protestant daughter and son-in-law mary ii and william iii who became joint sovereigns so obviously this is at this point so by 16 89, hanging Judge Jeffreys died in the tower. He had sentenced 320 people to be executed or transported 
to uh, the, the penal colonies, which is just another way of saying executed. And by 1690, the disposed James made one attempt to regain the crown, but his French and Irish forces were soundly defeated at the Battle of Bayonne. Um, we finally get to the 1700s, where it was around this point that the monarchies started to use the castle less and less through this period um, and it, it became I say less of a state and more of a public thing in fact by 1804 this is when the menagerie was opened to public uh, but before that in 1780 it was when the tower ho held its only American prisoner uh, the former president of the Continental Congress Henry Lawrence but yeah by this point it was now basically a public tourist attraction like it is today uh, but in 1820 to 1830 George IV as the Prince of Wales was imprisoned by the work sorry not imprisoned impressed talking so much about imprisoning people by the work of architect John Nash he commissioned him to design Regent's Park and its environs of curved terraces. He also arranged for Nash to create Buckingham Palace and the rebuilding of the Royal Pavilion at Brighton. Now we get to William IV in 1830 and 1830 to 1835 the Royal Menagerie left the Lion Tower in 1813 to become London Zoo and most of the Lion Tower was demolished soon after although the Lion Gate still remains. The fact that it moved was due to a number of occurrences of wolves and leopards and monkeys and pretty much all the animals there attacking and killing people they thought maybe having it like this isn't the best idea so we'll move it to a more secure location where you can put them in cages which obviously isn't ethical today but that's what they did back then and yeah that was where London Zoo first came into play and it was in 1841 under the rule of the infamous Queen Victoria that the first guidebook to the tower was published also in the same year the grand storehouse burned down during a great fire at the tower and many weapons were destroyed and the moat which had been drained and filled in a few years because the fire was just too devastating and that was in 1843 that the moat was just completely drained and filled in and that is what you now see around the outer walls of the tower now by 1848 revolution swept across europe and in london the Chartist movement delivered a petition to Parliament asserting the rights of ordinary people. Fear that a revolutionary mob might storm the tower prompted a final refortification of the tower. And by 1850, the documents of state stored in the record office moved to Chancery Lane. 1851, Anthony Selvin, a Victorian architect, was appointed to restore the tower to a pseudo-medieval form so it could be opened to the public. The Salt Tower, White Tower, St Thomas's Tower and Bloody Tower were all quote-unquote restored. It was in this restoration that uh, included, the included the demolition of two of the taverns, the Stone Kitchen and the Golden Chain, which used to to be used by the tower employees. By 1855, the War Office assumed responsibility for the manufacture and storage of weapons. Now, between 1842 and 1862, the Waterloo Barracks were built, the Brick, Flint and Bower were, Towers were all altered to provide additional accommodation. The barracks were able to house 1,000 soldiers and new loopholes and gun emplacements were built. The Royal Fusiliers Museum built as the officers mess was also erected so once again at this point it's becoming a major barracks at this point it's not as much a fortress to defend it's more of a barracks and a museum and a public place as much as it was a prison and torture house in a previous life uh, and in 1870 john taylor took over the restoration of the tower of london which included the cradle and davilian towers and 1876 and 1877, the Chapel of St. Peter's at Vincula uh, was sort of restored and bones were found in the digging, including those of Anne Boleyn, which is uh, why we now know where she was buried. And uh, But now there is a plaque on the floor marking where she is, as opposed to when Henry just dumped her body in there. I don't even know if she put, he put the head where it was meant to be, because he was a disrespectful prick. Um, but yeah, so that's how we know where she was. It was found years later in the restoration under Queen Victoria. Finally, in the 1900s, obviously you get to 1914, 
the First World War broke out and uh, a bomb actually fell into the moat of the tower and uh, 11 German spies were actually uh, shot dead in the tower. These were, I think, some of the last executions ever held there. They were basically killed by firing range. And in 1930s, an excavation of the moat adjacent to the formal former Royal Menagerie site, the Tower of London, found many animal skulls, including lions, leopards, and uh, the polar bear, were found dating back to the 1200s. This is how we know these things, obviously. And actually, if you go to the tower today, there are sort of models of the animals that would have been found there around. You can see the polar bear, where it was chained when it was allowed to go fishing, and stuff like that. Anyway, 1936, the abdication of King Edward VIII, following his affair with Wallace Simpson, and then you get George the Sixth. But by 1933 to 37, an army officer and traitor Norman Bale Stewart was the last British citizen held for any length of time in the Tower of London. So it was still a prison at this point, just not extensively used like it was in the past. But then we get to 1939 to 1945, which is obviously the Second World War, where bomb damage to the tower severely damaged or destroyed many of the buildings. Uh, the North Bastion received a direct hit, the hospital block which was partially partly destroyed during an air raid. Bombs also destroyed the main guard to the southwest of the White Tower. Now you've got 14th of August 1941, you had the last prisoner at the Tower of London, uh, Corporal Joseph Jacobs, a German spy, is of course executed. And in 1948, Hitler's deputy Führer of Nazi Germany, Rudolf Hess, was imprisoned in the King's House for four days. So he wasn't an official prisoner, he was just held there for a few days, only four, so it's not major. But yeah, he, the last execution happened in 41. But obviously you get by 1945, the war is over, and the crown jewels have been moved to a secret location for safekeeping at the start of the war, and by the end, they were returned to the tower so they could be kept safe there again. Uh, between in the 1940s to 1950s, the Waterloo Barracks was used as a base for the 1st Battalion of Royal Fusiliers, and by 15, 1952, the Cray Twins were held in the towers for four days for failing to report for national service, making them amongst the last prisoners in the tower um, ever, really. Um, so I think, yeah, the last prisoner, Corporal Joseph Jacobs was, I think, the last prisoner of war. These two were just people who, they just didn't want to do national service, they were held there. It, it is what it is. Um, but we are very near the end now of this, what is essentially an hour-long episode. In the 1950s, obviously 1952, Elizabeth II, the current Queen of England, becomes Queen of England. And uh, the Waterloo Barracks are actually now where the Crown Jewels are held. And in 1967, an underground jewel house was built, but the display could not cope with the visitors, which numbered up to 15,000 a day. Uh, the Mint was moved to Cardiff in 1568, and by 1994, the Crown Jewels were transferred to the Jewel House at the Tower of London, which was opened by Queen Elizabeth I. So yeah, it moved to back to the Tower, where they are, but then they moved to a different room, uh, the Jewel Room, as they're now referred to, where you can go around and see them, but I've never actually been in that room. Uh, then you get 1595 to 99, where archaeological excavations of the Tower of London and moat unearthed part of the tower's 13th century defences, including the Beauchamp Tower, which collapsed during its initial building programme. And that is pretty much the end of the history of the Tower of London. I can't thank you enough for listening to me ramble on about the Tower of London, my favourite place in London for so long. I didn't expect it to be this long, but then the Tower of London has a very long history, I suppose at the end of the day and before i do my final thank yous i would like to of course mention our sponsors for the week which are is of course king's styles apparel they do brilliant shirts the collections they currently have going are the failure wear my very own collection with brilliant shirts a new one came out today the uh, new primeval shirt go check that out if you like dinosaurs or me just please buy my shirts please you have the creators of king's eyes life you have the clansmen unite collection because i remembered the name this time i made sure i did and you have the uh statement collection please do go check out the merch store you've got brilliant stuff from all of your favorite creators more on the way keep getting better and please do support your favorite creators uh but once again thank you for supporting me by listening to this episode i'm completely flattered that i get more and more listeners every week and that you guys do sit down and listen to me ramble on for a bit um please do join the discord server 
link to that on King's Eyes uh, website. And do follow me on Twitter. You've got the show page. Uh, and finally, SV. And you've got me, Sam Vader, on Twitter. Please do follow me for updates on any of the podcasts or any YouTube videos I'll be doing. And uh, so you can interact with me. Please do join the Discord server. I'd love to interact with you guys who do listen to me on a weekly basis. But yeah, thank you once again so, so, so much for listening, guys. And finally, I'll speak to you next time.